Mama, I got bad news, bad news. I've been rolling with some bad dudes, bad dudes. I've been trying to get a bag to, a bag to. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Ashes to Awesome podcast, Rising and Recovery. Our podcast provides light, hope, and understanding about addiction and mental health to those living within that life and the people who love them. This episode is brought to you by Together We Can, where Canada recovers from addiction. That's twcrecoverylife.org. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Weekend Ramble on the Ashes to Awesome podcast. I'm your host, Chuck LaFlange, and with me in virtual studio, of course, are my two lovely co-hosts, Dr. Lisa. How are you doing today, Lisa? I am. I'm doing really good. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. I'm great. Attica, how are we this morning? I have my uppers, my coffee. I'm good. Your uppers, we're calling them. Okay. Okay. Right. I didn't know. (laughs) And our special guest today is Van Asher. Van is a... Harm reduction guy to say the least. How are you doing today, Van? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Ah, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for coming on. Um, I, I didn't have a ton of opportunity to to kind of to research you or what have you, but you know, you've told us a little bit about yourself. So why don't you just kind of start with, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself and how is it that you end up on my podcast at all, right? So what 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 about your life gets you here? Okay, well, I, I connected with Annika, and she connected me with you. Uh, a bit about my life. I started doing harm reduction in New York City in 1992. I had been a former unhoused drug user who started as a volunteer and was just pissed off that, like, we knew who was going to be decimated by HIV at a time where we believed if someone got infected, they'd die in six months to two years, and our government did nothing. And so the best possible fuck you, if I can curse here, I could come up with was doing this work and keeping myself and my peers uninfected and those of us infected alive and well for a group of people who said it would be okay if we died within a short period of time and and they took no action to prevent it. Wow. Wow. So how does that start? Like when you, when you get involved in that, because back in the 90s, harm reduction, that wasn't popular yet, right? So oh, no. Not that it's extremely popular now, but it's certainly a little more accepted and, and normalized, I guess, for, for lack. But how do you get into harm it reduction is. back in the 90s, right? Um, I, I just started as a volunteer. It seemed like the right thing to do. And all of a sudden, I found myself there more than 40 hours a week. Um, I was like, oh, there's two sex worker strolls. There's a serial killer on them. Uh, sex workers are at the highest risk of of murder, of of DV, of rape, of uh, getting infected if they're, you know. So would you guys be okay if I start doing outreach on the strolls three nights a week? And they were like, um, sure, go ahead. So it, it goes over a police scanner in New York. I'm not sure if it still does, but it, it's a, a, a DNP or NHI if we find a dead sex worker, which is non-human individual or dead non-person. And that pissed really? me off enough, yeah, that I put together a self-defense training course for sex workers with a friend of mine, Barrett Anderson, who is a black belt in goju and a, a brown belt in jujitsu. And we called it, don't hurt your attacker, kill him, because no one cares if you die. So, so things that we were teaching yeah. was, if you had a knife to my throat, I could cut your throat with your own knife without getting my prints anywhere on it. So we were doing like radical guerrilla shit like that. 
because it was early on, I didn't have to, you know, they were just like, yeah, do whatever, do whatever you're doing. Like you're, you're a crazy radical, go with it. And, and we helped uh, catch one of the serial killers because we met a survivor of an attack and got them to work with a police sketch artist. Um, I was getting free voicemails for, for the people on the stroll under the auspice of I'm working with commercial sex workers that are trying to get out of the sex work industry and can't have prospective employers call a transient hotel. Um, and this can also help people reconnect with their families if they're not connected or would like to be. And in reality, I was saying, okay, look, if you give your number to regulars, if you have safe money coming at seven, you might not do something risky at six because there are some people out here trying to kill y'all and, and no one gives a shit. And, uh, wow, I just, man. and I was doing that as a volunteer. And, and one day they're just like, Hey, we have a grant, like, you know, do you like interview for this position, which you're going to get. And, and I said, okay, I'll do this for a little while. And then 31 years passed. <laughs> doing what you love, Can obviously. Please go ahead. What, um, you said that these women were being called non-persons or something. What was it? Non-human individual or dead non-person. Um, I'd actually. What does that even mean? Exactly. It's well, you're not human if you're like... if you're doing sex work um, on the street. And and there was one woman. I was the last person to see her get pulled into a van, and no one saw her after. I'd gotten the license plate. And from someone else, I'd gotten the person's beeper number, um, the, the person who had taken her's beeper number. And I went to the police and tried filling out a missing persons, but was told that I couldn't because she was unhoused. She couldn't not she couldn't be missing because there was no home for her to not return home to. At which point I, I started using expletives in, in the police station. And and fortunately, our accountant's uh, wife uh, was an officer there, and she came out and was like, she heard me yelling, and, and it's, I have a distinctive voice, I guess. And she was just like, honey, they're going to lock you up. Like, let's take a walk around the block. And I'm like, fucking pigs, you know, and, and kicking the desk and um, things like that. But, but it's really, and I feel like it's, it's been an honor to do this work. Um, I've tried leaving the work a few times and keep keep coming back um, because I it's I can look at my reflection in the mirror mirror better when I do. How has it how has it evolved over the you said since 1992 is that oh right that you've God. been doing this work? So much, so much. Um, early on, we were allowed to give in New York. We were allowed to give. Uh, it was a one for one syringe exchange, so it was. We could give you, you know, would match what we gave you plus seven or give you seven if you had none. And that had nothing to do with health. That was just control. So I started doing things like I'd go, oh, hi, Lisa. How many times do you inject a day? When can you get back here? And if you said, oh, I, I inject three times a day, I can come back once a week. I went, okay, seven times three is 21. Let me just give you 30 to make sure you have enough syringes for each time because it says, Use once and destroy on the side because this fine point is not meant to go through seven layers of skin, fat, muscle, and the wall of a vein more than once. It's going to dull. Um, 
and that was illegal. And I got caught doing that and the state threatened to pull our waiver. And we were only open three hours a day, six days a week for exchange plus uh, our outreach, which was like six or nine hours a week at that time. And we were doing over a million syringes with those constraints um, to give you an idea of how busy this little storefront was. <laughs> and they threatened to pull our waiver if we gave anyone a syringe off hours. Um, and so I'd be in the needle exchange and someone would come in crying, asking for a needle. And I'd be standing next to a cabinet with 10,000 syringes saying, I'm sorry, I can't help you. And I actually had a failed suicide attempt that year. That was my second one. I was talking to Attica about them before um, because my best intentions, someone probably got infected at that time that I wasn't able to give sterile injection equipment to as a result of my trying to do the right thing. Um, and it was at a time where we had AZT, we didn't have ART. And I was like, oh my God, like I, I did the worst possible thing that I've been trying to prevent. And I was in my early twenties. I didn't have, have the emotional bandwidth to deal with, with that. And now, we're able to go, hey, how are you? How can I help you? What would you like? What do you need? Um, and and one thing that really helped push it somewhat was COVID. So we started giving out a lot more. And initially, there was some pushback. And it's like, well, we're telling everyone to stay at home. So if I give someone enough for a month, this is a public health service to prevent another pandemic, because we're in the dual pandemics of of overdose, which I really don't like that term, and COVID. Um, and so we were able to to really, I mean, grow and change That's... over the years. Yeah. Okay. So that's really interesting that you say the, uh, the overdose term, Van. Yeah. Um, we just, just yesterday as I was recording next week's uh, Kaleidoscope Wednesday episode, uh, we were talking about that with, with Ryan Bathgate. He said, and I'm sure you're more than aware of this. I'm sure you said it and used uh -huh. it yourself, but the, uh, the idea that nobody ever has an alcohol overdose, right? It's an alcohol poisoning. It's yep. never it's an poisoning. overdose. Right? It's never an overdose. So why is it an overdose if it's if it's you know illicit substance or whatever you want to call it, right? It's so yeah, and, and, yeah, right, yeah. Right. So, I mean, I I completely. I mean, I, I always say that, like that, that you, you know, if I take the number one cause of liver damage in the U.S. is taking too much acetaminophen, which is like in Tylenol, and if I take I, I can take three thousand milligrams a day, less if I'm drinking, and if I take more than that. That's an overdose because I know the dosage. The dosage is written out for me. But if I'm buying, let's just say, a bag of heroin every day from the same source, and one bag will get me either high or well, but one day it kills me, I didn't overdose. I was doing the same dosage. It was the, the shitty drug yeah. law yeah. that – so it's a drug poisoning as, as well. I, I, I like that term as well. Same. Um, and I like to do like a cocktail analogy that I like to tell to people is that when you have a cocktail and you know exactly what's in it, the mm -hmm. concentration of everything, and then you drink, you feel safe. 
What if in that cocktail, in that batch, you didn't know, you didn't know what's in it? It could have been 95% of alcohol. You're going to end up in the emerge. It's not because mm-hmm. you drink more of alcohol. It's because you didn't know. It's because, yeah. you know, it's, it's unregulated. Oh, uh, exactly. Just like when moonshine was around. Yep. When we had right? prohibition, people so, would go blind, insane, it's or die. Like yeah. it's like, the following is a national emergency. A new study out shows there may be gross underreporting of opioid-related deaths. Many of those crisis overdose deaths have been caused by toxic effects on families and communities across this country. One Canadian dies approximately every 53 minutes to overdose. That's 27 deaths every day and 837 deaths each month. That makes 405% more deaths to overdose than car accidents in 2022. Are you listening now? So who does this affect? Everyone from pro athletes to celebrities to business people and kids. This crisis affects us all. 77% of overdoses happening in people's homes. So how did we get here? These drugs were designed to ease pain, but their overuse has caused hundreds of thousands of Canadians to become addicted. Most addictions begin with prescription opiates, but later shift to unregulated substances like heroin and fentanyl due to availability and cost. This is a huge problem. The vast majority of overdose deaths are caused by a toxic street drug supply. The National Overdose Response Service is a 24-hour phone line providing anonymous support for substance users. NORS will co-create safety plans, dispatch EMS, or contact someone to administer naloxone without involving EMS. Please don't use alone. If using in the USA, please call Never Use Alone and download the Brave app. All right, so we are back from the break. Um, Van, as, as we were off air there, you started to tell us a story, and, and we wanted to catch it. Um, it just made sense to me. So why don't you tell us what you were talking about there, and we'll go from there. Well, we were talking a little bit about violence, and, and I was saying we had a participant at a program I was running in Manhattan, and the clinic didn't want to see them anymore because they felt threatened by them, where he, the client wasn't threatening them, the participant um, they said, like, oh, what do you do this weekend? And he was like, oh, you know, someone was getting in my space. And so I stabbed them. And, and I was trying to explain to them, like, he lives in a violent world. He needs to protect himself. And violence is just another language, and it's not one that you speak. You know, and this was actually, like, one of when I told them that I was leaving, I was moving to Chicago to, to carry on the work here. Like, he and I wept, and we hugged each other. And I said, what you don't understand is, like, you just see someone as a violent person, but I was helping him navigate, and this is the part of the story that you didn't hear, which is so beautiful. Uh, I was helping him navigate working with a, a social work intern, and he said to me, he went, hey, how's that person like call themselves? I said, what do you mean? He's like, you know, that pronoun thing, because I don't want to offend them. And all the people upstairs were able to see was like a violent drug user, but he understood this, this person wanted to help him, and he didn't want to cause them any harm by misgendering them. Wow. And so I said, well, why don't you say, I said, you could, you could approach it several different ways. You can say, hey, I'm so-and-so. I use these pronouns. What are yours? And, yeah. and he was like, bet. And he was like, I'm so-and-so. Like, I'm, I'm male. And then 
who are you and, and what are you? How do, how do I talk to you? And they were like, oh, you could call, like I use the pronouns they or she. she. And, and he went, okay, cool. I said, would be cool if I just called you by your name? And they said, yeah. Wow. And, now, and, and it was like, when, it, when I was moving, I just want to finish by saying like, and I told, it was one of the people I pulled aside from this program. I told, like, we hugged each other and we wept. But upstairs, all people could see is this violent stereotype of a crystal meth user yep. um, that yep. we we're talking about, who, who was HIV positive and they, they threw him off uh, treatment. And so I brought him to another clinic because I said, my job is a, is a healthcare navigator. And if they're not getting the healthcare here, I'll navigate them elsewhere. Damn straight. Um, so, so how many of those people that, that wanted to ban him from that particular clinic would have been that sensitive to somebody's pronouns? Right. And, and, exactly. Right. You know, you know, so that's that's that is a heartwarming thing. man. I mean, yes. I had people from that clinic walk into the syringe service program that I was running downstairs without a mask at the height of covid. And I'm like, hey, you need to have a mask to come in here. And they're like, oh, no, it's good. I work here. And I go, no, it's not good. I, I have people that might be unsuppressed in the room and I'm not going to have you come in with your arrogance. Like, I don't care. Your title doesn't supersede my rules. And this yeah, is my program. Right. And if you don't like it, you can see yourself out. Um, wow. And, right. you know, someone someone there told me I wasn't liked. And I said, I don't do this work to be liked. If I want to be liked, I'll get a puppy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. You right. don't, you're yeah. not going to be yeah. liked. You're That's running, amazing. Yeah. Running yeah. those programs. Ahead, yeah. No, I was just going to say, yeah. I see that a lot in the hospital. Like I'll, I'll get consulted to see someone in the eMERGE and it'll say, you know, like forensic history or, you know, has been incarcerated. And then I'll go and I'll ask them like, you know, what's this forensic history about? And I, I am assessing safety. Like I want to know, like, are you somebody who repeatedly assaults random people for no reason, mm -hmm. which is very rare. And the majority of the time they'll say things to me like, I was hungry and I was stealing a chocolate bar from a corner store or I was riding the bus or the C train to stay warm because it was the dead of winter and I had nowhere to go and I got fined because I didn't have a ticket to be on the C train. <sighs> right? And, and so it's just ridiculous. And that, goes, because that gets listed as forensic history or, I've, or, or having been in custody. Legal right? history or, you know. Um, come on, you know, come yeah. on. You know. That's the thing. Like to me, legal history needs details. Tell me the details. Yeah. You know? And um, it's like because the details matter. Yeah. You know, like exactly. Were you on the streets yeah. and you stabbed somebody because he came at we at you with a gun? Like that's different than I went up and stabbed grandma while she was sleeping. Like <laughs> what's the right. what's the context, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That like like it needs to be a context. Like in the downtown east side, I know that there's this one person who stabbed another mm -hmm. person, but it's like because he was threatened at gunpoint that that he stabbed this person. And I know this guy and I know the guy who stabbed and, and he never hurt me. Yeah. Never hurt any woman, would save a puppy and and just I think when people talk about, oh, downtown we said there's a lot of stabbing and whatsoever, why do you go there yeah, alone? Right. It's because I know they're not going to hurt me. Yeah. Like, just don't <laughs> yeah. be an asshole and you'll be fine. In the ghetto, if you're being an asshole, you get 
fucked, you know? Like, I, I like to say this, like, when when you go into the ghetto, don't talk to people who miss a tooth because they did something wrong that's and then someone punched them that's horrible. real hard. They miss a tooth. Funny as it it's is. It's always like that. It's like, that's... Don't talk to people who miss a tooth. I just want to pop my denture right? up because they're all really, right? Yeah. <laughs> I was just saying, yeah, yeah. this one got taken out by a car. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I cannot see it, but usually it's on the front. Uh, wow. Ben, can you tell us more? Like, I'm just super, I feel like, I, I sort of feel, and maybe Chuck, you're the same, and Attica as well. Like, I feel like I don't even know where to start, because I feel like the stories that you must have. Oh yeah, yeah, here we are, like, 15 minutes like, in, uh, and I'm, like, like blown away. So much. Like, so. There is so much. So... Um, one thing I can, I was talking with Chuck about this, and, and before we started, and I want to make sure this gets heard, um, I was I was the keynote speaker at a harm reduction conference five, six years ago, and it was in September, which is recovery month here, and it was mostly people who worked in the drug treatment field, the majority of which were in abstinence-based treatment themselves. And one of the things I said was, in almost every treatment facility, someone says, look to your left, look to your right, one of you may make it. And by make it, they mean have continued abstinence, which is how they measure success. Um, first of all, we know those numbers are actually significantly lower. Um, but at a time where we're charging street-level drug dealers for murder, if there's fentanyl in their product and someone has an accidental overdose, when you're releasing over 66% of your population back to the street knowing that they're going to have continued use when they've had a break and they're over eight times more likely to have a fatal overdose in the first month after treatment because there's no tolerance, should you be charged in their murder as an accessory after the fact if you're just saying to them, don't pick up and go to a meeting and you're not referring them to harm reduction programs which have been scientifically proven to reduce morbidity but because you're not willing to go against the grain of one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And, and we won't co-sign the one, so we'll just ignore it. And, you know, I, I, I've said this before, you know, the, the worst thing that I've ever heard in abstinence-based recovery is some of us must die so others may live. It's a horrible statement. It's the most horrific thing I've heard, and I've heard some terrible shit. Um, and in harm reduction, we believe like everyone has the right to live and, and we're going to try to help you do that. And, you know, one of the programs I work with, the Puerto Rico project here in Chicago, um, which is called that because Puerto Rico was sending people to treatment that either didn't exist or wasn't um, or, or was, you know, just a scam. Um, to get them off the island and they're just sending them here and this woman Melissa Hernandez exposed that and started the Puerto Rico project and now wow. we, we do mobile outreach to encampments um, where we bring uh, culturally appropriate food socks, syringes uh, smoking materials um, we have a mobile shower unit uh, and things like that but it's, it's just like and one of the things she says is like Part of her mission is to help restore dignity to people. Like it doesn't matter, like where you live or how you live, you deserve the same respect and dignity 
that so many people command. Um, and, and I've worked with so many people in this field. I do a lot of trainings around like de-escalation and stigma and, and how we're taught stigma. And I meet so many people who work in this field or work with unhoused people who say, you know, and so-and-so said this to me and I didn't sign up for this shit. And it's like, well, actually you did. You accepted a job working with this population. And if words are gonna hurt you, maybe you should fucking leave because you should just take it like water off a duck's back. Most often yeah. when people are like attacking then, you verbally yeah. within this work, yeah. it either has nothing to do with you or I tell people, try to consider it a gift because they feel comfortable enough that they can unload this on you, which probably has nothing to do with you because they feel safer here. And, you know, if you make it personal, you lost. And, and yeah. you know... Um, and I also think um, that when people come at you verbally, I think there's an opportunity to demonstrate to them that that's not going to drive you away. So like exactly. it, it makes me think about a, a guy that I worked with and um, he was admitted to the hospital and he was in a high observation room, like a locked room um, because of aggressive behavior. I went to see him and he was calling me some nasty words <laughs> like, and you know, and it wasn't just using dropping F-bombs, like he was calling me the names. Mm -hmm. um, and eventually I just said, you know what, like I, I'm, I'm not gonna speak to you like that. And I'm not gonna let you speak to me like that. And so we'll try again tomorrow. And I left and I came back the next day to see him and ended up working with him for about a month. He didn't do that to me again, um, but I think it had been a therapeutic moment to show him that I can forgive you because he actually apologized to me. He said like, I'm sorry. And I don't expect patients to apologize to me to make that clear, but he did of his own accord. And I said, you know, I appreciate that. It's, you know, it's, it's forgotten. We're going to move on. But I think there's, there's a therapeutic moment there to show somebody that, because I think to some extent, some of it can be that they're trying to push you away to see, do you really care? Are yeah. you really going to stick around? And so they'll yes. push to see if you'll just disappear. Yeah. Exactly. You know? Because then you're just like everyone else. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I think with uh, so, I'm these, sorry, uh, I'm sorry, that people... was not... <laughs> Ooh, Jeff, did I make it's you my, sleepy? My... Called yeah, out. Like... <laughs> okay, it is okay. Something we said. Uh, Chuck is sleepy. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, like um, at the you know overdose prevention. Yeah, people people would call me lots of names, and it's just like I used to just go into the higher barrier. Um, safe injection and just sit and cry but I would cry it up there and then return but it's like because they don't have the attachment like a healthy attachment with families right so it's like they don't know who to let in who to let go they don't know what kind of model of attachment that they had so they kind of have to build like this strong big wall in which they just have to push people away so hard mm -hmm. and then see yeah. who's who's staying for them. It's yeah. like, and I, I think, think that there's, there's a lot of vulnerability there. To survive. So, yeah. <clears throat> um, 
in the world that some of these people live in. I think there's a persona that they wear, right? And and oftentimes that involves speaking a certain way, um, yeah. walking a certain way, just trying to look big, look tough. And similarly, kind of van to what you were talking about before is that I've seen it as well in the hospital where patients, you know, get treated in a certain way because they're swearing. And I said, mm-hmm. but they're, again, they're not always swearing at you. You know, um, sometimes that's just how they've been speaking for the last 10 or 20 years. And well, also. If they're from the street, it's not like they're PhDs. They're going to do foul language. And it's so crazy. Um, I mean, I remember I was I was doing outreach on the sex worker stroll one night. I met this woman who was nine months pregnant, who had just been released from Rikers Island and was going to a methadone program called PAM. I'll call them out, Pregnant Addicted Mothers. Um, and uh, <laughs> they, they denied her access because there was a flight of stairs and in her chart, her historic chart, it said she had seizures. They didn't ask her about it and she had seizures from cocaine injection. It wasn't, it wasn't a seizure disorder, which I have, um, or anything like that. So they refused to medicate her and she was on you know, I think 90 or 100 milligrams of methadone. And so she went out to the street, schism withdrawal, which induced labor. Um, I actually had a reporter with me and I had my German shepherd. So I gave him my leash and I said, here are the keys to my dog. If if I come back and you're not here with my dog, we're going to have a fucking problem. And I put her in a cab and took her to the better hospital because I knew if I called for an ambulance, they were going to take her to the lesser hospital because she was an unhoused drug user and and looked as such. And so I bring her into this maternity ward and they're finishing this intake with this lovely person and it's going swimmingly. And then she comes up to the counter and they're just like, what do you want? And, and we're just so nasty. And she started crying. And so I reached over the counter and I picked up the phone and I dialed the number and she's like, what are you doing? I said, oh, I said, I'm her caseworker and I'm calling my lawyer and what's your name? I just want to make sure the right person loses their job. And I said, here, sign this brown paper bag to, to the woman. And she signed it. And the woman said, what's that? I said, oh, it's a release. I'm now acting on her behalf. And I was just like, I'm sorry, what was your name? And the person was like, uh, and I was like, we're not leaving till she has a private room, which she got. Um, and, and, she th- and, you know, mm-hmm. we ended up working with that lawyer, who's a very dear friend of mine, who who I heard a bit about your background, Lisa, how you got into the field. This woman was an outreach worker in upstate New York who was so disgusted with how drug users were treated that she went to law school and became a lawyer and, and worked for, you know, uh, for drug users' rights. Um, and she helped navigate because the woman was, was putting the child up for adoption that she could have visitation. And, and she showed up for every court appearance and brought toys to everything and and was a part of this child's life. Um, and I have to say, I think that um, from my experience, I think pregnant substance users are probably the most stigmatized oh my of God, them yes. all. When I interview um, people for when I interview people for jobs, very, I say very a yeah. pregnant woman walks into the syringe exchange. What do you do? And people it's all their shit comes out. And they're like, I tell them if you want to keep this child. And it's like, I've only had one person in all the years say, 
Hi, can I help? No, you, you gift the syringe. What if they just said, oh my God, this thing's pressing on my bladder. Do you have a bathroom? Yeah. Like, or, or oh, I want to, you know, and, and I've worked with yeah. people who said, I want to stop using during my pregnancy and then want to go back to using substances after. Um, and, and we've worked with those individuals, um, you know, but, but people, it, it kicks up some, like we need yeah. to save the babies, the baby. And it's like, no, we need to talk to the person who's right in front of us and just say, hey, what is it that you want? How can we help you get that? Um, we're, we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, was, the uh, baby will be alive I, I if the mother is SSP alive. SSP in the South Bronx. And um, an SSP? there were Sorry? a syringe service program, a needle exchange. Okay. Okay. Uh, and, and it was a large program. Um, and there were a lot of Latin Kings and Bloods and. And so I said, like, hey, you know, you guys are always on fighting and it's dangerous in the street. Let's make this like Switzerland in here. Like and, and a lot of the violence went down. But one day there was a fight and I was ushering someone out and he took a swing at me and I blocked it and stepped back. Got him by the, the his shirt and his pants and walked him out the door and said, come back tomorrow. And he came back the next day and he said, hey, am I banned? And. I said, no, of course not. You need these services. I said, I just want to say, like, you weren't mad at me. You don't know me well enough. Like, you weren't you weren't lashing out at me. You were just lashing out. I said, I also want to say I blocked it and stepped back. I didn't block it and counter. I didn't hit you because you're not mad at me and I'm not mad at you. Like I said, I know. I mean, I said, I know your scenario. I said, I was, I was, hum I was unhoused, like, as a youth, and I was so full of rage, like, I can't imagine the pressure you're under because I know your significant other's pregnant. I know you're in a gang. I know you're unhoused. And I know what you do to make money. Like, I can't even imagine the stress that you feel like. Has anyone talked to you about getting into a couple shelter? Or, like, is your partner getting prenatal care? And he said, they're not. I said, okay, well, I'm going to have her talk to so-and-so. Um, we're going to work on that other thing. But lunch is almost over because we serve three meals a day there said, why don't you go back and get something to eat and then come back. Seeking a path to heal from trauma? Discover Yatra Center in Phuket, Thailand. Yatra specializes in EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, a groundbreaking therapy transforming lives globally. Why choose Yatra? Nestled in the tranquility of Phuket, Thailand, Yatra offers both online outpatient services and immersive residential programs. Their expert therapists ensure that traumatic memories are processed, becoming less intense and more manageable. Research-backed and globally recognized, Yatra's EMDR approach doesn't just ease the pain, it targets the very core, facilitating deep healing. Whether you're at home or at their serene center, Yatra paves your way from trauma to tranquility. Don't let the past overshadow your present. Choose Yatra, transform pain into strength, and step into a brighter future. Visit yatracenter.com and embark on your healing journey. And then come back to my office and we'll talk. And he looked at wow. me, and this is someone that towered over me. He went, can I, I'm about to cry. And he said, can I hug you? And I said, you know, there's all eyes on us right now because there were like opposing gang members in the space as well. And everyone's kind of dialed in what's going on. And he went, I don't care. And he hugged me and he was... He put his head on my shoulder and we both started crying. Um, and then he went to get something to eat and uh, and a member of, of 
an opposing gang was walking out and like threw me an elbow and I looked at him and he went, good looking out. And it showed us the success of our program where even though like outside the door, they were out to like for territory and to kill each other and control the, the drug trade, it was just a moment of humanity that, that the other person got. And, movie, and people man. have this stigma yeah. that like, that, that <laughs> gang members and drug dealers and, and drug users don't like have feelings. And I'll say this one other thing, there was this horrific thing where there was this older gay man who had, who had uh, gotten together with a young gay man who was, who was an immigrant who came over and they were inseparable. And, you know, this is in the South Bronx is notoriously tough. And they were robbed one night and they didn't have a cell phone. And the elderly man said to his young lover, run. And he got beaten to death and it was over a dollar. Um, that's all he had. He had a dollar stolen. They were walking to McDonald's to get like uh, something from the dollar menu. And we, we had a memorial and the community came together and not once did their sexual identity come up because it wasn't important. What was important was a member of the community had been murdered. And so, you know, one thing I hear is that like recovery and, and I do things on redefining recovery because I don't think it's linear um, is connection. And so when we create safe spaces for people to connect, yeah. things happen that people otherwise wouldn't even think about, let alone believe. Um, and, and I know like with recovery, like I said, I'm an epileptic. I've been seizure free for a long time, started having seizures again. My neurologist and his team was like, oh, your treatment failed. No one was like, you failed your treatment. How dare you start having seizures again? You weren't doing that. Um, I also, I race motorcycles. So I've had a lot of, I've been to a lot of physical therapists. I'll say I've broken a lot of bones. Um, and we've talked about the degree of my recovery and occasional setbacks in my recovery. Um, but when we talk about substances, like you're in recovery or you're not, and if there's a period of reuse, you've lost everything and have to start over. And that's bullshit. Um, substance use is the only place that's bullshit. where we punish people no, for, days are for gone. doing something. Like if you see someone who's getting chemo and they're standing outside of their treatment center smoking a cigarette through their stoma, no one's going to go up to them and say, we're giving you less chemo tomorrow or you're going to have to go to this other treatment facility to get it or you know what, we're just done with you. You obviously aren't ready, you know, um, and you're gonna have to die. But those are the exact words that we use for people who use substances, because the big thing is we confuse, well, we confuse legality it's with morality. It's a lot morality. of stigma. And that's what it comes down to. Yes, it's like treating and, addiction as and a we're moral taught failure. Who, who to punish it's not, and hate. Like, um, it's, I always use yeah, the example of coffee. I know, Arika, we saw you this morning. You said, I'm okay. I have my coffee, my stimulants. And you are 100% correct. And I <laughs> yeah, think Lisa's said, getting stimulus. high on some right now. Um, <laughs> here's mine. Um, wow, shit. Uppers. Okay, I'll break out my heroin. And, but, but the thing is, but the thing is, heroin's actually safer than alcohol. But the thing is, Without throughout history, yeah. we've outlawed coffee several yeah. times. The first time was in Mecca in 1511 because it was pulling people out of the temples and causing them to congregate. So they linked it with Satanism. 
In Turkey in 1600, if you're caught drinking coffee publicly, it was a crime punishable by death. And around the same time, Pope Clemente VIII loved coffee. And you got to ask yourself, like, what's the holiest of holy doing dabbling with Satanism? But that's like a whole separate conversation. But he had apparently said something along the lines of, why should just the infidels be able to enjoy the devil's brew? So he blessed and baptized coffee. And we had coffee houses pop up all throughout Europe. Nothing changed about the substance caffeine other than how we were told to think about it. And we're seeing this now with marijuana. I remember there was a commercial when I was a little kid, a couple was going up an escalator and all of a sudden the guy throws the woman over and she falls to her death in a very dramatic way. And you hear the voiceover say like, he just smoked a marijuana cigarette. Refer and it's madness. like, exactly, <laughs> weed from the devil's garden. And the only thing I ever killed after smoking a joint was a tray of brownies. But, but people just... had this, People had this belief that like marijuana was going to cause you to do these heinous crimes. And now yeah. it's like there are moms doing goat yoga, smoking joints, saying it makes me a better parent when Rikers Island is still filled with black and brown faces of people who are selling weed um, <laughs> who still haven't been released. I like to talk about addiction uh, with that as well and uh, citing the moonshine, how moonshine worked and everyone was like, you know, die out of um, alcohol poisoning, having 95% alcohol content in it. But I also like to point out about other species of animals who are basically, quote unquote, junkies, okay? Because it's like dolphins can get high. The reason why cats like catnip is because, you know, it's kind of altering. It's just like, at a certain point that you you go past the evolution the it's just that you you like substances that will you know alter you and like mouse for instance they prefer to be high rather than like eat or have sex and you know it's just like and that study that study was flawed to be mentally with the rats. altered and there's yep yep the thing is, also, really? they had they had no oh. community. They were isolated. I didn't know that. Um, yeah, I was going to say, they chose the... Oh, that's true. They were that isolated. Study with that's community, true. they weren't yeah. using at the same level. No. Um, and it was skewed yeah. purposely to say, look at addiction ah. and these bad people. Yeah, and this yeah, is they what you're going to do. You're, you're going to choose this over food. and But when it was done in an equitable way, I'll use that word because it's such a buzz phrase these days, um, it disproved itself. Um, yeah. and, and we are a drug using society and what you're saying about sex and food, like they, they light up the same synapses we in the brain as substances. So if I was to tell all of you like, hey Chuck, stop smoking, uh, yeah. stop drinking coffee, stop fucking, stop eating things that make us feel good. I, I, I binge eat to, to feel better when when I feel badly, I, I know that it's not my relationship with food in that way is not quote unquote healthy. But you know what? Don't try to take it from me. like who the fuck are you to like tell <laughs> me how I should feel good? Like the the without me threatening her job as a co-host right now. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's. Multiple times, like but, uh, two weeks ago. Um, actually, I, I want to I interrupt yeah, you please. Just before we get too far away from it. What you were saying about about the brownies and, and the weed in that, it was just funny because this morning, 
I made a reel, and I, I'm just going to play it for you because just the odds of you saying yeah, yeah. that right now are just hilarious, right? So he just passed a long time ago. But we would argue. I remember when I was like 17, 18 years old, and and I'd say, Grandpa, nobody ever went home and beat the shit out of their wife because they smoked a joint. Maybe the Truth. fridge. Right, the fridge yeah. that took an ass kicking just yeah. about every time. The right? Dorito like, bag know. took a shit. <laughs> <took a laughs> right? You know, yeah, yeah. So that, that was that was my my kind of classic argument with him. As well, I would sit there and get drunk with him, right? So whatever. But, but I mean, it's so true. It's like reefer madness and like that whole like you know push in the in the 1930s and 40s about making marijuana illegal, and then like the 60s coming along, and like it was just all about uh, you know trying to maintain a nuclear family trying to maintain that buzz cut picket fence era where america was great and they were yeah. post-war they were you know fdr and the big D the new deal like that was all very innovative solution to social issues like the depression uh here we are And that's so funny. I've, I've been doing stand-up <laughs> since the 80s. I'm actually incredibly funny. Um, <laughs> Just and, ask uh, yourself, hey. <laughs> and, Have and you legitimately been you doing stand-up? Yes. yes. Oh, okay. Uh, um, and, and one of the bits I used to do was about the commercial that, like, this is your brain, and then they crack an egg. This is your brain on drugs. That never made me want to stop drugs. If anything, it put my friends and I in a dangerous scenario because it would be safe at my house. It would be 4 a.m., and would see this is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. And inevitably, someone would be like, hey, man, anyone else hungry? And so we'd have to get into a car and drive impaired looking for a Denny's. <laughs> to get like, some fried eggs. Absolutely oh nothing. Material, material. To, oh prevent, to prevent. And I mean, a lot of, a lot of things were, were based on true things. Uh, I'd gotten stopped with a friend. We actually were having a fist fight in the car. And we're driving down a one way the wrong way. <laughs> right past a police car at a stop sign. It was like I couldn't have scripted Sounds like this. Reefer Madness, Van. And like I felt something on the inside yeah. of my jacket, my leather jacket. And so I just tossed it under the seat. And the cop came up and was like, get out of the fucking car. And my friend's like, yes, sir. And he goes, not you, the passenger. What would you shove under the seat, boy? And I was like, how did you see that? Are you super cop? I was, I was ripped. And I was like, and I realized what was. And I was like, you're not going to believe me. You have to check. And he's like, what was it? I'm like, I'm not telling you. You got to see. <laughs> and, and so I'm now against the car, spread eagles, partners frisking me. And he pulls it out and he goes, 
why'd you shove a fucking Butterfinger under the seat? <laughs> and I said, and I did the mental body search, and I had nothing on me. And I said, well, in all honesty, sir, I'm used to carrying a weapon and a large quantity of drugs at any given time, and it was a natural reaction. And he said, where are the drugs? I went, oh, they're, they're at home on my kitchen table. And I just picked up like an ounce of Coke. And, uh, and he's like, where do you live? I was like, uh, none of your business. None of your business. You're not yeah. welcome in my house. But thank you for asking. You know. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> you just named so the episode, Dan. Why'd you shove a fucking Butterfinger under the seat? Exactly. So I'm just writing that down before I forget, right? <laughs> I am so happy that the uh, the audio is now working. Right? Can you? If we had missed that, we would all stand well, here looking thing. confused and didn't laugh. That would be yeah. horrible, right? It, yeah. The reel would be nowhere near as good because I can tell you that's yeah. the first one I'm yeah. making when I'm done this. Right? And it's also like Van, you know, you haven't watched these podcasts, oh, yeah. um, but if you do at some point, like I just feel like you have come home. <laughs> Because Excellent. like every like just listening to you talking about connection, I mean it comes up all the time that we all talk time. about you know huge, huge what we need what we to do. battle addiction is connection. Talking about medical analogies and how you know would we do these things to, to someone who has lung cancer from smoking? Do we withhold their chemotherapy? Like all of the things you're talking about are stuff that that we often talk about. Um, no kidding. One of, no kidding. One of yeah. the most beautiful things. made up things. for that thing last weekend there, Attica, or a couple weeks ago, I guess it was, right? From, from our last episode together. You've made up for that now by bringing Van onto the show. Yes. So you know, right? yeah. And I feel like Van one needs of... to come back already. We're not even done. I'm sure but I'm like, I already am like, you need to come back. The, the SSP that I worked at in the South Bronx is called St. Anne's Corner of Harm Reduction. And Joyce Rivera, the founder and ED, uh, did something called The Bronx Has Talent and would rent the Puerto Rico Traveling Theater and often worked with their creative director to help the participants of the program and staff put on a show in this 150 seat theater and then would invite funders and the public and people's families to come see them perform. Um, and I know as someone that first of all, I was misdiagnosed with, with a seizure disorder as a kid. So I kept saying something's wrong and was told nothing was so I felt unheard, but then to be a homeless youth, people put their blinders on because they don't want to see you. Um, I remember like as a meeting with the Department of Health and they're talking about working with unhoused people and someone said, oh, it's a hard to reach population. I said, it's not. I said, when you get off the subway tonight and someone asks you for no, change, just do don't it. pretend they're invisible and just walk past them. Just, just have a conversation, whether you give them money or not, you can say, oh, you know, whatever and you've just engaged them it's not a hard to reach population just reach them van um, do you know and, that sorry yeah. go ahead no oh no and and i just no. want to say like so would tell people like if you feel unseen or unheard you're gonna have the opportunity to have 300 eyes and ears on you mm. to say or do whatever you want like here's yeah. here's your moment and and we'll help you refine and, and wow. whatever Van, um, Chuck also has a, another, I don't, what is it another podcast, like the Morning Cup of Kindness? Yeah, I don't, yeah, it right? is another podcast. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, man. Right? But it just oh. ties in so well. So I, I had gone on there and told a story. I have a six-year-old. And by choice, I don't take her to shopping malls. I don't take her grocery shopping. And obviously, I'm privileged that I can leave her home with dad and not 
you know i'm like i'd rather her be in the in the dirt instead of in the in the shopping mall i took my daughter to a uh, grocery store and we came out and there was a gentleman a homeless gentleman there um i think high on some form of opiate sort of nodding off and we were walking towards the car and the first question she said to me is mom what's wrong with that man right so we had a conversation essentially about privilege and about the fact that this man had a hard life and probably didn't have a lot of the things that he needed and we kept walking and the next thing she said to me is there it goes <laughs> why do people walk past him like he's not there she's six exactly. mm-hmm. you know and, and, and it's similarly i was i was doing a training at a hospital setting and you know, one of the security guards said, you know, I don't want kids in the ER seeing this. So like I tell people, if you don't get out here, I'm going to beat the shit out of you. And I said, do you think it's going to be more traumatic to have to explain to a child why this person in a position of power just got violent on someone without any? Yeah, right. And right. and they just looked at me and I was like, yeah, don't want an answer. Just just think about it for a while, you know, and at the end of the training, the, the security officer came up to me mm-hmm. and he went, I never thought of it like that. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, well, remember like, this is, this is where people are coming because they're not having their best moment. I was also an EMT, you know, and, and like- Of course you were. Jesus. You know, um, <laughs> and, and I was-, was Stand-up comedian, was, EMT. What is it that you're not? Lifesaver. Reckless motorcycles. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and evil can evil on the side. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Uh, yep. There's the something called the hotties model, of harm reduction. Where we've taken all of our clothes off for a fundraiser that benefits small harm reduction programs. So we sell them. I'll take you yeah. probably not going to buy that them. calendar. I'm just going to say. Uh, know, right? Well, but I'm, we'll provide holding, the link in the show notes if you give it to me where other people I'm can. actually <laughs> holding up a, another calendar in, in front of my junk, as it were. Oh. Um, so I'm, I'm in a, a. Yeah. I'm in a, I, I saw a the convention hall at a conference in Puerto Rico last year where I was just bucking I, I turned it into, a, a, you know, from a, a, a convention hall, I turned into an exhibitionist hall um, <laughs> where, so I was just like standing there holding a calendar in, in front of my privates. Um, but it was really a funny conversation because uh, a photographer, Nigel, who's a dear friend of mine, was like, he's from England, was like, hey, wait, wait, yeah, yeah, sure, take off your shirt. And he went, you know what? Here's your trousers. And I was like, okay. And he goes, you know what? Yeah, drop the skivvies. So I'm just standing there naked in this convention hall, and people were walking by. Someone walked up to the, the table. I started talking to them. Um, and he goes, you know what? Hold another calendar in front of you, Willie. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, yeah, so. Wow. Uh, you know, I'm looking at it right now, right? you have to qualify that statement. It's a funny conversation, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. Excellent. <laughs> I, I think Lisa oh, is looking. Um, I, I want to take a quick moment. Here yeah. To, um, I, I, <laughs> oh, I don't think I'm going to cut a lot of commercials in on this one, just our, our PSA. <laughs> That's because I just don't want to. So, um, But I was going to take a moment to, to be a little self-indulgent and mm-hmm. uh, let people know about my, my GoFundMe page for my, my trip to Thailand. My family's covering most of the costs, uh, but I still, like, I'm still short in a significant way. 
Um, so if anybody's listening and, and, you know, can help out with that, of course, there'll be a link in the show notes. Um, more than happy to dedicate, you know, uh, if you want to dedicate any donation you make, uh, maybe to, to somebody who's, who's been lost, lost their battle with addiction, whatever. Um, you know, we'll certainly talk about even potential to do full episode dedications, but um, I'll definitely put a, a, a fundraiser in the, in the show notes for that. Go from there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Anyway, um, I went totally off topic there, but I'm like, oh, I better sneak this in at some point. <laughs> so, totally yeah. fair. Yeah. 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 Oh, definitely. Um, and, and you know what? Let's, let's talk about, now that you mentioned it, Lisa, the morning cup of kindness. So, Van, that's definitely something I would really love if you partook in. For, and sure. it's, the great thing about morning cup of kindness is it's five minutes, right? The whole episode okay. is five minutes. Um, it's, there's a podcast. And maybe I should send them a bill every time I talk about this. There's a podcast called Morning Cup of Murder. And it's massively popular, massively, like top, whatever, half percent, one percent in the world, right? And it's a five-minute story about murder every day. And I was like, bullshit, we could do better than that, yeah. right? Like, what a twisted world we live in, right? So that's where Morning Cup of Kindness came. And what it's evolved into now is, it's supposed to be daily, I've fallen off of that, just, it's, it's hard to keep up to, but I'm, I'm working on it. You can advertise a, a nonprofit or a fundraiser by coming on and talking, giving me a five-minute story about kindness. And then you can take the last minute to discuss whatever fundraiser or charity you want to, right? So it's just kind of a way to, to get the word about the word out about some good things and, you know, and, and kind of go from there. So mm-hmm. you've got plenty of stories, I'm sure, and you're, I mean, you've got stories yeah. about any genre we want, any vernacular we want to go down, I'm sure, but, um, you know, it'd be great if you came yeah. back and, and it did one of those for us, you know, it's, again, sure. it's only five minutes that. out of your day, so, yeah. 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 Van, are you comfortable telling us a little bit about your journey? Because um, you talked about you were you were unhoused and substance ask. using. Um, I don't know if you're still substance using or not, but just kind of your own personal journey and sure. maybe what helped um, you along the way. Well, I mean, really, you know, harm reduction was really the, the primary thing. Um, you know, I, I had gone to abstinence bakes, 12 step stuff, and I heard so many, there, there was a lot I didn't agree with, and people would say, oh, take what you like and leave the rest, but, but I'd be like, you know, there are certain things that, where it's like, if there's, if there's something wrong with a person, place, thing, or situation, I need to look at my part, and I'm like, that's co-signing rape culture. Um, that's like not everyone has a part to do with mm-hmm. everything. That's that's co-signing child molestation and abuse. And, mm-hmm. and no, like um, I, I felt badly enough about myself at parts of my life. And and but, you know, harm reduction is just is just as as loving. And and, uh, you know, I primarily don't do anything now more so for the two reasons that like um, with my use I often become unhoused and and I like a roof over my head but also it allows me to do things like I'm a neurologist nightmare like I race brakeless motorcycles like that's 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 a that is a no Um, but but you know and okay hold on hold on well they gotta earn their paychecks right because brakes just slow you down Um, WTF all right what so how do fuck? you slow down? You have an extra lap if you need it. You downshift and you kill the engine, <laughs> okay. and that'll cause rear wheel okay. drag. And you put down, you put down your feet like the Flintstones. Um, Brakeless motorcycle. 
You make neurology. I just developed a whole new trauma I have to address when we get to Thailand, for Christ's sake. Braceless motorcycles. I love my neurologist. And no, it's there's only four. four you don't love him. You wouldn't do place. things like that if you loved him, Van. Um, it's, it's, we we have a great working it's... relationship. But he'll tell his other patients. He'll go. I have this fucking patient who lives his life. He's like, if your if your seizures are controlled or controlled enough that you can do things, do whatever you want. Like embrace your life. Um, and uh, so, yeah. So I do. Um, and. Jesus. Or I tried I love to. <laughs> but so the twelve step abstinence didn't really see, I, that didn't fit for it, you it, by the sounds it, of it. It and 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 it served its purpose um early on. Uh-huh. And uh I love and, I love him. I do. And, he belongs here. You know, and, and <laughs> but but there's you know, I'm a big believer in like if you you're belong, trying to make you improvements here. in your life and you find something that works for you and it's not causing harm to others, run with it. And if, that if is that's the exact what it right is strategy, for you, right? yeah. if that's what it yeah. is for you, yeah. roll with it. Um, and and you know if not, not. Um, you know I find I find harm reduction to be more uh, accepting and and user-friendly for for people and you know um and yeah. we we're talking about stigma earlier here's here's a perfect example in the harm reduction field we lose a lot of people who work in the field because of the stigma associated with substance use yeah so they don't often apply the same things where we'll say hey you know because there's an unstable drug supply try not to use alone because people die because they're alone but there's so much stigma. We just lost yeah. a, a dear friend who was a brilliant harm reductionist who had abstinent, a long period of abstinence-based uh, history who had gone to a period of reuse but wasn't talking to people about it because of the shame and judgment that people might put on them. Uh-huh. And, and so they mm-hmm. passed away. And, and a coworker of mine here, similarly, um, where there are things I, I tell people like, Hey, you know, call me, call me, and I'll stay on the phone with you. I was as a volunteer, and I was on the board of directors for a time of a, a call line called "Never Use Alone," where mm-hmm. if you're using substances, yeah, you can yeah, I know you that can line. call, like, no, no, and someone will sit with you while you use whatever substance you're using to make yeah. sure there are positive outcomes. And Attica um, does that. I don't know if you're aware, Van, but Attica does that for an organization yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah, Norris. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We've, we've recently started kind of sponsoring, yeah. not sponsoring. But, yeah, yeah, the Canadian yeah. Canadian yeah. version um, of actually, that. Actually, I got in shit on Twitter Oh. Um, yeah. because I didn't get in shit. Somebody asked me to specifically Why? mention a program that's here in Alberta as well. The, uh, oh, okay. Doors, D-O-R-S, very similar. Never heard um, of it. Government run. Government run. Oh, okay. So, which to me, hey, if you're doing good things, you're doing good things, most certainly. Mm-hmm. I, to me, every dollar the government spends is a is a, a dollar ill spent, right? So if like, yeah. I would much rather push. I really shouldn't even say this, but I'm gonna because it's my show. I would much rather push people to donate towards Norse, which is a, a nonprofit, than any sort of government run, mm-hmm. because that dollar you give to Norse is going to go so much further than oh, yeah. anything run by the government, right? No, right? <laughs> yeah. Or G initiative. Or that. Right. So, yeah. And, Van, we talk a lot. Um, yeah. yeah. 
we talk a lot too on the show about the fact that we need all the tools in the toolkit do you know what i mean and so whether it's aa whether it's abstinence-based programs whether it's harm reduction programs whether it's clean injection like whatever it is it's like i don't think there's one recipe to success Mm -hmm. and i mean that's so clear right if there was a recipe to success then we would have identified it and we would put everybody on that track and we would all be done and so there's there's no one road um and it's just we need all the tools you know we one of my training partners and i we do a training on safer bathrooms because not every place is going to have an overdose prevention site nor is it appropriate to have one in some place that people aren't going to come it could be a tap on resources but we all have bathrooms except for chuck right now who's using the one down the road (laughs) but um (laughs) 10 more days 10 more days you just Um, have to do it but but all programs have bathrooms i I remember i'd interviewed for a position somewhere where they're going to start doing syringe exchange and they're like how do we get people to not use in the bathroom i went Oh, don't let them use the bathroom, but that's inhumane. I said, what I would do first oh, looking will. at your bathroom is I'd turn the door so it opens out because most people die in the bathroom because the door swings in and they are trapped between the toilet and the door and we can't get to them. And they're like, oh my God, we wouldn't have thought of that. And it's like, well, you don't do this work. Of course you wouldn't have. Yeah. Um, and That's why like my nonprofit tries to do like a biosensor because it's like, everyone dies in the bathroom and there's a lot of things that people do in the bathroom and there needs to be harm reduction in the bathrooms especially and, and there are different wrongs, programs i ran where we had safe um, youth yeah. bathrooms and and the press wanted to know and i'm big on plausible deniability i might be lying to you now no but uh um, <laughs> where they'd go well what's going on in your bathroom and i went oh, shit happens in the bathroom like what what's going on in your bathroom like I mean, the amount of things that I've done non-drug related in bathrooms, I've, I've had sex in bathrooms, I've changed clothes in bathrooms, I've, I've made a mess in bathroom, you know, yeah. all different kinds of things, including drugs, you know, um, so. Yeah. That's too funny. I think it's also comes to, comes down to people's ignorance that injection is actually really an intimate experience that it's not like when people see drug users um, injecting on the street there is a misconception that they just want to inject on the street no they don't they don't enjoy that that, it's just because it's yeah yeah, it's just because it's safe for them that in case they have a Mm -hmm. poisoning someone will save them and they do use in the bathroom because it's you know, like finding a vein and, you know, Access it's just really water. intimate, you know, activity. Uh, for, and and yeah. one thing we're talking Access about to water. so much. So, I just want to talk about the stigma of the syringe. Like we've been taught that the syringe is a problem where it's just a route of administration. And I bring up the mm-hmm. example of if yeah. like the majority of us have been to a dentist in the last 10 years. And, and of that majority, a large percentage of us have had a cavity. So we've gotten a shot of Novocaine. And after leaving the doctor's office, like we didn't have Novocaine seeking behavior. It didn't turn us into this drug seeking fiend. 
but we just admit and acknowledged that we've had a history, it should be in the chart like you were talking about before, Lisa, of injection drug use. So route of, yeah. route of administration does not yeah. determine outcome. What we've been taught is stigma. Mm -hmm. and, and all the drug users you see in the news are people that are like either in a violent scenario or being arrested or there was something criminal attached. So we can keep pushing that agenda of the criminality of someone who's doing something illegal so they become this immoral and and the majority of people who use substances we don't think of because they're living their lives and and doing their everyday mm -hmm. things regardless of their route of administration yeah. <coughs> right right yeah and it's oh interesting because i always ask patients in the hospital about iv drug use and just like this conversation is making me rethink how I do it, because the reason I do it is to know, do, should we be testing for things like HIV? Um, you know, so I'll ask about, you know, do you do IV drugs? Do you, and I also ask about sex. Do you practice safe sex? Um, but I wonder now if asking that question to somebody who probably is riddled with shame, if the perception of that question just encourages the shame when again like I, I don't really care how you're using I just need to know so that I can investigate for anything we might need to tend to or treat for risk yeah yeah um, yeah and I mean it's a lot of times like I'll, when I test people for hep C or HIV we ask the most invasive questions of someone we've just met like yeah. hi uh, do you have sex with men who have sex with men uh, mm -hmm. people who inject substances people involved in sex work as if it's any of my fucking business, I understand. Yeah. Because it's not, I mean, I remember I got tested once and someone asked me the amount of partners I had and it had been hundreds. But at that time I was using protection for every penetrative act. And, you know, there was someone I was gonna sleep with and I said, well, how many partners have you had? And they said, well, if I sleep with you, you'll be the fifth. And I said, well, did you use protection with them? And she went, no, I knew them. And I said, you're the risk. <laughs> I'm regarded as the whore from a societal point of view, yeah. but but my acts were lesser risk than yours. Absolutely. And, and kind of interesting and, to uh, ask a number of partners, because again, that's irrelevant. It's do you practice yeah. safe sex? Period. 100%. Like I, 100% and, that and is, because yeah. the, yeah. the, the Period. city department of health would talk about lessening risk by lowering amount of partners. And I'd say, no, that's, that's you trying to push puritanical values that are non-reflective of today's realities get your fucking morals out of my bedroom. I actually don't want yeah. any morals in my bedroom. Um, <laughs> you know, on a good it day. It doesn't belong let's there. Keep shame in the, let's keep shame in the bedroom where it belongs. You know, remove it from all other areas. But, but the thing is, it's not how many partners I have, but how I'm having them, that brings about the risk. Um, totally. Out of doubt. You yeah. know, I have a friend who yeah. is a devout Christian who's, who had unprotected sex with this like one lovely young man because they thought they were in love and as we often do when our endorphins are telling us to do things and and she got infected she is not the picture of who you would think an hiv positive person is like mm -hmm. um and it's but it's like you said earlier van about there are people who are drug users who are phds you know, yes. there are people who are devout Christians. Like, yeah. you know, it's just kind of people, yeah. nobody is immune to any of this stuff, you know? Recently, Dr. Carl Hart wrote a book, uh, Drug User for Grownups. 
He's a PhD, a Columbia professor who's tenured, who's a black man, who's raising children. He has tons of things to lose, who talks about the fact in his book, he does heroin recreationally and many oh. other people do. Um, he does lots of substances recreationally. Um, I have I have so many friends that are are brilliant human beings at the height of their respected fields that are substance users. Um, and, and I'm talking like heavy substance users. Yes. And many of them are closeted because of the stigma. Oh, yeah. And there are some that are incredibly brave that talk out about it. Um, I was just at a methadone reform conference in New York where one of them, uh, Dr. David Frank had spoken about being an active drug user. I know him. Yeah. I was going to mention yeah. him. Oh, yeah. He's proud. Oh, he's, he's awesome. He's unapologetic. Um, he's like, oh, this and, is my methadone. And, I'm going you know, to my partner had, had written an abstract and made a really poster about why illicitly sourced diverted methadone is a safer choice for them as someone of yeah. a gender that had been sexually harassed by people in their clinic that worked there or would be told, uh, oh, you know, your clothes are distracting these men. You can't wear those shorts here anymore. Well, why don't you talk to the men about fucking sexually harassment, like harassing exactly. this person? Um, exactly. Had had mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. her counselor would say over and over, "Your husband doesn't really love you if he allows you to engage in sex work." Um, who the fuck? Like it's work. Who the fuck are you? Um, you know. Yeah. Um, it's it's but, just work. Like yeah. when people of power that don't necessarily have any training in in specific things start talking publicly about these specific things with authority, like we run into problems. So like it's, it's brave people like Dr. Carl Hart and, and uh, Dr. David Frank, who, who, and it's interesting because he was on a panel I like him. with He's everyone great. that it was like, doctor, 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 David. And he was like, uh, I'm a doctor. Like, let's back this yeah. shit up. Don't forget that. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. Wow. But it's also about the stigma that you're talking about, how scholars who are, you know, just closeted about their using versus uh, doctors like uh, Dr. Frank, who, who I, I had oh, meetings yeah. with him and he's great. He's very intelligent and everything, but he just really suffered getting uh -huh, grants uh -huh. because of that, because he, he, yep. he is open about it. He's People honest don't about give it. Drug like, yeah, users money I used to use heroin on because... methadone. What are, they might do something yeah. nefarious yeah. with it. You know, the amount of people that embezzle that aren't yeah. using substances. And this is like Ivy uh, League institutions. I was, I was yeah. uh, at a training where people were talking about theft. Um, and I said, well, I have a question for everyone in the training. Um, and I wasn't, I wasn't doing the training as a, as a member. I said, how many of you have a bunch of like pens and, and notebooks and stuff at home from your job, from your workplace. And most people raise their hands and went, okay, so you're, I'm talking to a bunch of thieves. And they're like, no, no, it's different. I went, how? Because you're classist. Yeah. There's no difference. You were taking things home. Like one yeah. of them said, well, I take reams of paper home from my printer. You're committing theft. And if you add that up over a year with everyone at the agency, it becomes a significant amount. Um, Straight. But, but if you're like, oh, that person's gonna steal something because they're a drug user, like look at your own behavior. 
Um, you had started to say mm-hmm. how many crimes are committed, right? How much embezzlement? How many? The big crimes? Those guys are all. Those guys aren't using heroin or cocaine. No, right? Those? No, no, right? You know. Oh no. Yeah. 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 And Van, what are you um, like? What are you specifically doing in Chicago now? Oh wow, I'm I'm working with a bunch of different wards. I I was working with a rural syringe service program in LaSalle County. Um, where three years ago they were ranked number eight for overdoses, two years ago it was number five, and the first quarter of this year there were no overdose fatalities. So I was helping them expand their syringe service program. Um, I did some trainings for them. We actually did a training with uh, paramedics, EMTs, and and fire uh, about about working with drug users and and it was great because they just finished a suicidality training and i said i'm so glad you talked about this because the number one killer of uh first responders is themselves and i said you know i'm, I'm nyc emt 377884 and my first patient died en route to the hospital and i spiraled into a depression um, so i'm glad you're talking about this but also if we look at when you're talking about patient care and you're talking about myocardial infarction, which is a heart attack, you had a list of how to treat the patient, let's cross those words out and just replace it with overdose. And let's bring care back in healthcare when we're working with people who use substances. And so we set up with them a leave behind program where if someone's experienced an overdose, they're gonna be offered naloxone as well as the people who they were with. So, because most overdoses, we don't need 911. They can be treated by each other and it's often in a much more yeah. loving way. Um, yeah. And I said, you can go back to doing, yeah. so that's one of the Less things I, I work with. Uh, um, uh, a friend of mine was one of the founders who passed away from an accidental overdose of Chicago Recovery Alliance, which is a large SSP here where I knew several of the people that, that worked there. So I started volunteering and I'm doing some work there with them as well. And I work with the Puerto Rico Project. Um, I've written some grants. I wrote the grant so they could get their mobile shower unit. I wrote a grant so they could have like a finance person. Uh, I just submitted some grants for expansion of of services. Um, one of the thing, the Overdose Prevention Services Act bill is coming up in front of the Senate again. I make a lot of harm reduction animated videos. Um, so I made one using, uh, if you've seen Schoolhouse Rock, the I'm Just a Bill. I made one in that genre, so it's like, I'm just a bill, suck on Capitol Hill, overdose prevention sites, because ah, bad drug loves kill. When I was looking like at your that. profile this morning, I was like, oh, I've seen that old cartoon. Maybe not. Okay, I'm going to yeah, have to take a look It's a little different. Yeah. It's a little yeah. different. Okay. Um, okay. I made a harm reduction comic book uh, called The Young Injectables, oh. which was also translated into Italian. Oh, yeah. um, so, so I'm trying to bring money into harm reduction in here. Yeah, and, and I also made a video with them because we're talking about meth a lot. Um, there's not a lot of great harm reduction stuff about meth. And so I had the young injectables meet the overdose Avengers in Meth After Dark, where they have an all-out meth party where they're, they're smoking it, they're booty bumping it, they're shooting it. Um, <laughs> There are these two young men. Yeah. Boofing. There are these two young men. One says, like, when they're talking about boofing, he's like, God, you have so much knowledge. He's like, you know, hey, do you have a condom? And he's like, oh, I don't, but I'm an undetectable bottom. And he's like, oh, I'm a top on prep. Do you still have that lube? And then they disappear together. 
Um, just to break down stigma, I know I would fight with the Department of Health Jesus. in New York City all the time. Lisa's going to be coming with me to Thailand. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, and, and New York, they would say, um, you know, take PrEP daily and use a condom. And it's like, if I'm trying to prevent HIV infection and I take PrEP daily, I'm going to avoid HIV. Um, if I'm trying to avoid getting someone pregnant, which I won't, yeah. I've had a vasectomy because I've done my part. Um, or like an STI, yeah, condoms are great to prevent that. But if I'm just trying to prevent, you know, there was there was this yeah. big backlash from the gay community in New York where we actually saw an increase in HIV during the height of the epidemic where the CDC came out and said, you need to wear a condom for every sexual act. And that's where we got the term barebacking. That's where that came into play. Mm. One of my old bosses is a dear friend who, uh, um, God, I just forgot the name of his magazine. I wanted to plug it. It's a gay S&M bondage magazine that I did a photo shoot in as well. Um, he said, you know, they told me. I love this guy. They told me, I'm going to look it up because I'm going to give him. His name is Drew Kramer. He's brilliant. Um, but he said, you know, as a gay man who's in my late 50s, they want me to take PrEP daily to avoid HIV. But if I get HIV, I'm just going to take a pill daily. Yeah. So why? What's, why? Yeah. People are like, oh, you can't say that. And it's like, why can't I, I speak my fucking truth? Like, uh, um, and drum roll, please. I don't know, Chuck, that we've had another guest on who has we brought have. up as many mixed emotions for me. <laughs> like, my brain has been, like, in the gutter. It's been in, like, the... The floral fields. I've had done. tears. I've laughed. I'm like, why don't you hold that name for a quick second? I'm just going to run a quick PSA here, and then we'll sure. come back to that. Okay? Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Now for a quick public service announcement. One of the best ways to reduce stigma is with education. If you still have questions that we haven't answered on today's show, you can learn more about Together We Can's education group at twclife.org. Hey everyone, this is Ryan Bathgate from Kaleidoscope Wednesdays. I wanted to bring a public service announcement to you today about Narcan, or also known as Naloxone. These kits uh, have saved so many lives over the years. Uh, I can attest for that. Uh, being in the industry for so long, I can tell you since we've had the opioid crisis declared in 2016, it has saved thousands of lives, and I've watched it personally save hundreds of lives. These kits are small, easy to use. Uh, you can keep them in your glove box or, uh, or in a cupboard in your home, and you never know when somebody's going to need them. Uh, if you have a hard time finding a Narcan kit in your area, just email us here at Ashes to Awesome Podcast at gmail.com. Throw Narcan in the subject line, tell us where you are, and we'll do the legwork to find that for you. If you wanted to send me a question for my Kaleidoscope Wednesdays, again, email ashes to awesome podcast at gmail.com. We will read that question on air and I'll do my best to answer it in a comprehensive way. Uh, that's all I have for now. I will go back to the show. Thanks for listening. And I love that, but I wish would change the narrative. I hear it everywhere that this is someone's sister or mother or brother or son. This is someone. Let's just draw the line there. This is a person, period. 
Fair enough. You know, Fair enough. like, yeah. like yeah. they don't have to be a son or a brother. Mm-hmm. Or they're, they're them and they're valuable. I know like the big thing that I hate. And I, another thing I fought with about, about the, <laughs> the narrative is, Did you, do it you know, Did you fight in New York, this time? <laughs> our mayor <laughs> scantily, um, <laughs> And my friend, my best friend, Jimmy, said when he met me, I was the most naked person he'd ever met wearing clothes. Um, I got to get him on with Scott is what I got to do, because basically I could just I could just whatever. I'll shut my mic off and let you two go. Right. Yeah. And it was it was Drummer Magazine, uh, which is the the S&M leather leather magazine. Okay, so that Um, PSA was brought to you by. Drummer Magazine, yes, <laughs> yeah. right? and, and their website is, Van? Um, you know what? I think you can find them on Instagram, and, okay. Okay. and you'll get their website. Let me just... Under Drummer Magazine, if, which yeah. I would expect to find Gay S&M Magazine under that Exactly. Title. Okay. What well, was because people marched to their own drum initially back then. Touche, 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 right? Yes. Um, <laughs> and... Yeah. yeah, you get you get a raise, Attica. You get a raise Should for bringing me a co-host. There you go. Twice, <laughs> gonna double your salary, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Two times zero is still zero. <laughs> I was gonna say it, but I was like, nah. I won't say it. <laughs> anyway, there'll be a day when we can pay salaries someday down the road, right? You know, I would never take one. <laughs> you know, Carl says yeah. the same thing, Carl. Carl, I, no, I, I don't need it. No. And, and it's funny because yeah. my first no, salary, you know, when I first got paid as an outreach worker, I was making $23,000 a year and I felt like I was stealing. Wow. I really did. Every other week I'd get a check for like $600, if that. And I was just like, you, but you see, and I, we need to pay some people because if you're oh, putting yeah. in 40 hours a week. You still have to survive. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, and I've often said if I, you know, I take in a certain amount from sponsors in a month, it's not very much, but it's something and it, and it sure does help. I've often said that if the show gets to a certain level, there'll be a massive portion of that, that money that would go to, you know, to some sort of nonprofit or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, yeah, but, yeah. but we still have to, like I work 16 hours a day, mm-hmm. seven days a week. We still have to. You know, somehow get. I think for me, it comes down to necessity, right? So it's like this is this is what you do, Chuck. So you absolutely need to pay yourself. You know what I mean? Like you need to eat. You need a roof. Um, I have a job that pays me that that gives me all the things I need and more. So I would, for me, no matter what this where this show lands, I would never take money from the show because I don't need it. You know what I mean? So it's grateful for that. Yeah. Yeah. Get that yeah. in writing, Chuck. I think I really take harm reduction very yeah. seriously that I just right. don't need yeah. it, yeah. you know? A lot of what we do, like me and Van, it's like unpaid. Oh, yeah. That's harm reduction. You just, you're in it. It's and, not for the pay. And, you're in it because you you value people and, and you just want them to And there are places where I do get paid and I command a good price because I'm bringing years of expertise and, you know, I was talking to someone the other day about, you know, people in the field where harm reduction is getting professionalized. And I told them, like, when I'm hiring someone, the only letters I care about at the end of your name is if it's like senior, junior, the second or third. Like, 
I care about how you work with people. Um, and, and I'm one of the people, and a lot of, yeah. a lot of people don't, but I'm one of the people who hires people in active use, um, where live experience, like, you know, when, when I was homeless in New York City, one of the things I would do was I'd, I'd compulsively go up and down like first and second F, checking pay phones for change or drugs. <laughs> a lot of people that I serve now are like, a pay, what is this thing you speak of, old man? Pay phone? <laughs> what is that? Um, you know, so while yeah, did, my... You my, used a safety pin at some point too, didn't you? Or the paper clip? Exactly. Did, oh, did, did you do the thing yeah. to make the and free phone calls? And I had slugs too, Attica, you have subway. no idea what we're talking about to you, right? <laughs> exactly. But, but the thing is... Um, while my experience is still relevant because it is mine, it's no longer the same as someone who's like, oh, I'm, I'm going through that right now. Um, yeah. Look, I don't have abscesses. I inject cocaine. Mm -hmm. You know, this is how you yeah. can inject safer, you know. Um, and so I've said, mm -hmm. I've always said I hire people based on the content of their quality rather than the content of their urine. Um, uh, well said. Urines, well said. you know. And yeah. It's like a life competence. It's not really about the resume. It's because of the competence, right? Like, like how competent are you relating with people who use drugs and, and suggesting, okay, flagging technique. How do you do that? Where vein to inject, you know, how to not do jugular um, injection, things like that. It's just, you know, like, like you said, the, the, the experts of harm reduction are actually people who use drugs themselves. And, and when we talked about people getting right. separated, yeah. I don't know if I want to necessarily go into this. I, I, there was a program that I had run at one point, and when I left, I felt I'd set up an infrastructure that it would have continued success. And, and this is something that very common that happens. There's a lot of peer recovery specialists and you know, one of them said, I don't feel comfortable working around this person because they use. And so the person was fired. And it was like, no, that that like if if I were still running the program, I would have said to the peer recovery specialist, well, if you're not comfortable about around a staff person that uses substances, will you be comfortable in the street feeling not triggered when people are actively injecting in front of you? Um, and this might not be the right type of peer work for you to be doing at this point of your career, you know, let's have a conversation about that. But anyway, like what we talked about where recovery is connection, all of a sudden this person was fired and they lost all their support and they lost their income and became unhoused and, and they'd found another position and, you know, had put me as a reference and I was talking to them on Monday and they were going to start the job on Tuesday or, or they were going to start the job later in the week. I should say, and and they were found dead on Tuesday, and and this was a young, beautiful human being in their twenties, and a large part of it, I think, and I'm I'm placing blame, um, is because their support got ripped away, yeah. um, and it's like we need to hold people close mm -hmm. because we all go through shit. Like I I love the, you know. Um, be nice to everyone because you mm -hmm. never know what someone is going through. And it could be, it doesn't have to be regarding substances. <laughs> it could be relationship. It could be whatever yeah. the fuck. 
you last know? weekend our whole entire episode was you don't know what somebody else is going through that was our, our entire that was what it actually was all about. i watched all of them so i'm just pulling snippets to make it sound like <laughs> you I'm gotta wonder man that's kinda... person. holy shit right you just keep touching <laughs> on these things. okay right. let me i'm gonna check <laughs> this one off <laughs> and yeah uh, you don't seem like a note taker that's lisa yeah. oh i am yeah. not not in this scenario I, I live by checklists oh yeah 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 that's people get on me well you just just make a list Okay, because I can find a fucking pen. Okay, ADHD. That's you know, right? oh, I understand. Yeah. I I joke where if I had a tagline was like, "Don't worry, I'll save." Oh, look, a kitten. Um, <laughs> right, right. And yeah. and but but my broken brain, as you will, helps me put together. And I think a lot of people with ADHD helps me see things and put together patterns that other people just won't connect. Without a doubt. Um, Without a doubt. Yep. Yeah, there was this terrible, and that's how I came up with the idea for fentanyl test strips here. And then I found uh, out actually Insight had done a study, a pilot study with 700 strips. And I always acknowledge that because I think credit needs to go where, where, or give credit where credit's due. Um, I had an original thought, but, but, you know, in my head where, you know, like I said, I'm an epileptic. So I started doing a keto-based diet at my neurologist's suggestion so I could half my medication to mitigate side effects because keto it was made for epileptics. You know, the high fat lessens your risk of seizures. And so I was using keto test strips initially that I was peeing on to see if I was in ketosis till I figured out how my body reacted to certain foods. And this was in 2016, I went, well, you know, what's, what are my liver and kidneys but a filter? And what's a cotton and a cooker but a filter? I'm sure there have to be urine, like fentanyl test strips. And and so I Googled them and found like really, really cheap ones that I was like, oh, these, these can't work. And then I found a company, BTNX, that had them. And, and they're mostly being used for like corrections or detox or rehab, like in a punitive way. And I called them and said, oh, I want to order these. And they're like, oh, do you need the regents to go with them? And I said, oh, no, no, I'm going to be testing drugs and, and like cookers and paraphernalia. And they were so freaked out by that. Um, <laughs> and now and now they have a whole harm reduction division um, because wow. they, they realize. And it's partially because they're they're Canadian. I made a video on how to use their test. Partially because they're Canadian or it's. Yep. Well, because they're okay. Canadian, they're they're not as driven by dollars as Americans. Um, and they're driven by yeah. concerns. So, so I made this video on how to use them, and they said, "Oh, could we use that for our website?" A, eh? because you say at the end of the sentence, and, and <laughs> from, do fucking not. And, and from Brooklyn, and from Brooklyn, we put it at the beginning. So it's like, "A, hey, you want to use this video?" You know, and they're like, "Yeah, we'd like to use that video." A, eh? but, uh, but they asked me, they asked if they could use my video on how to use their test scripts. And I said, sure. And they said, oh, we could pay you. And I said, no, I don't want any money. Give give free test strips or discounted test strips to drug users unions. Like, I've got a job. I'm fine. Much like Lisa said, like, so I'm, like yeah. I don't need your money. I have money. Um, I had much more then than, than I do as a freelancer. But um, but so they did like they said, you know, oh, we'll come to this conference. Can you introduce us to people in drug users unions? So I said, yeah, this is so-and-so from USU, the Urban Survivor Union, which is an, a national drug users union in, in the U.S., introduced them. And, and just, uh, you know, like all these small actions, I, I say this a lot. Uh, Dan Big, 
was the person who passed away who was one of the co-founders of Chicago Recovery Alliance, who was a drug user. Um, in 2017, he was Chicagoian of the year. In 2018, he had an accidental fatal overdose and that same magazine that named him this published his toxicology report because we're taught to hate people who use drugs. But he is the person that made naloxone in the US so available because he started giving it out illegally and would go to conferences and show up with duffel bags of naloxone and be like, anyone want to learn how to start a program in your state? And, you know, we need to put this in the hands of people who use drugs. And, you know, um, you know, so what I said about him, tens of thousands, like it's, it's, it's impossible. It's, it's impossible. Um, it's I, impossible to, to there's the American figure out. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, me speak good English. Um, but uh, I just just try to wrap my head around that that number. Yeah, and on, on, and he yeah. was the person who threw the pebble in the puddle that caused the ripple of change. Right. Right. So when we yeah. talk about like you know just just being like your daughter Lisa saying like why don't people see them why are people like treating them invisible by making someone visible. We, we create the ripple of change because everyone they bump into that day, they're going to just react a little differently too. And I'm not some patchouli wearing hippie yeah. fuck by any stretch of the imagination. But, but, you know, if we show kindness to the people who get treated the worst societally, you know, we can make change. I know, I know there is a community board meeting uh, in one of the areas where I had a needle exchange and community members were like, what are you going to do about these homeless people in the park? And I was like, ask them what services they need. I said, you know, you're going to be judged as a community by how you serve the person who needs the most resources. And if you're like, get this person out, that's a community member, whether they have an address or not. Like, you know, oh, I don't want to see this. Everybody, the four tenants everybody deserves to be seen to be heard to be loved and to feel lovable exactly right? you know mm-hmm. that's yeah, yeah you know um, more and more every day i, I think about actually that. chuck uh, this happened but um i spotted someone because he's far from the safe consumption site and the reason why some people use in the public place is because there's not enough safe consumption site well we need more of the safe consumption sites and i was um uh, supervising, uh, spotting this dope sitting, basically, right? Dope sitting um, bes- behind a, the bushes and, at McDonald's. And um, he did fent. It was a trank. He had a drug poisoning. I narcanned him. And I remember of your podcast that when I left that guy, I told him, you're loved. You know, that's what I told him when, Yeah. That's what I told him as he opened his eyes. Because, you know, mm-hmm. like Van, Chuck, and Lisa, you probably know that people who use drugs, they don't feel loved. It, mm-hmm. They just, you know, and sometimes it's just nice to be reminded that, hey, someone care about you. Someone give a crap about the, you. The fourth, yeah. tenant, the fourth tenant is the hardest of them, I think, yep. for people who yeah. are suffering, is to feel lovable. That's yeah. harder to do than to feel loved. Yeah. Right. And, and for so many people, and it was for me, it was a boot on my neck for years. Right? I think if you asked my brother, I think he would say the same. He knew he was I, loved. He knows he's yeah, loved. Almost, almost everybody that's got But I don't, it, I don't think he, I think there's been a lot of times where he has not felt that he was deserving of being loved. Right. 
without a doubt. And, and right. I've interrupted so many potential overdoses or drug poisonings, and I'm saying interrupted, I don't like the word reversal because the drugs aren't pushed out of your system. That's true. They're blocked. They're, They're blocked, blocked for 30, for 30 to 90 minutes. minutes. And yep, then it comes back. And then, yeah. and then, yeah, depending on how much of a substance was in your body, your overdose yeah. can continue, the which is important again. if you're yeah. not going to call happen. for help yeah. to sit with someone. But so many times people will come out and they'll go, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I'd go, you yeah. didn't do anything wrong. You have nothing to yeah. be sorry about. Right. Yeah. And that, um, I've, I've spoken to this before too, Van. It, I've nowhere near the count yourself or Attica would have been in, in, interrupted. We'll use that term. But my fair share, I guess, right? Because I was never an opiate user. You know, quite often I was never around that until the end when fentanyl just came on the scene and just mm -hmm. overtook everything. But anyway, not a single person that I was either involved in or was the actual person doing the interrupting came out of that and said, thank you. And it's not, and I don't say that because I need to be thanked. I do not in any way, shape, or form, much like Lisa said earlier at work. But the fact that they are sorry that they made you do that instead of being thankful to be alive is a mm -hmm. fucking problem. Mm -hmm. Do you remember, right. Chuck, that and, thing that Devin uh, read to you that I had sent him about Yes, this? yes. Always makes Oof. me think about that, right? Right. Um, yeah. This was, uh, um, I had shared with an interventionist who'd helped my brother about how he had sent a, a message saying he was sorry for all the stress that he had yeah. caused our family. And I was talking to the interventionist and basically saying like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry you have suffered. I'm sorry that we don't- Hey guys, you know, I hate to interrupt, but I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't tell you to check out the swag shop on our website. That's www.a2apodcast.com slash swag. Got all sorts of new hoodies, t-shirts, tank tops, anything you can think of really good. And if we don't have what you're looking for, just drop me a line. Customization is absolutely free. And you can DM me on any of the social medias or email me at ashesfrostpodcast at gmail.com. Check it out. We love to see people wearing our swag and it helps get the message out. Thanks, guys. Now back to the show. Uh, we don't have easy answers. I'm sorry that society doesn't give you what you need and help you. You know, it's like I feel like so often people who are suffering an addiction are saying sorry. And yes. I think as society, we have a lot more to apologize for. And, and we have more to apologize for them than that. Because we've stigmatized them at such a rate yes. that it's you're taught that what you're doing is bad. You know, once again, like confusing legality and morality. Like, yeah. oh, you're doing X, Y, or Z. You're a bad person. No, no, I'm not. Some, no. I might do some bad things. Other people do bad things as well. And you yeah. hold them to a different standard. Um, yeah. It's like they, they get a batch and it's uh, a new from a new dealer or just got out of prison. So it's a different batch. And, and they would apologize if I if I reverse. Uh, sorry, if I interrupt the, the poisoning and it's like, it's not your fault that you had a poisoning. You didn't know. You didn't even know what's right. in it. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, it's like they yeah. it's like internalized guilt that um, seemed to be there. <laughs> oh, Chuck. <laughs> At least it did it. I'm not crying. You're crying. <laughs> I never cried yet. Shit. Well, an episode, right? You know. Yeah. 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 I just, yeah, I, I just, I empathize a lot, right? So, 
hypersensitive guy. I'll let you guess, but. No, no, I understand. And people yeah. don't expect it from me because I'm like this big, burly guy. Yeah, and I'm like, I'll cry when I fucking want to. If you don't like it, I'll stab you. Right? right. You know? but, um, Jesus Christ. Actually, and, and, that's, and that's, not, that's not fully true, actually. For years, I didn't cry. I was the person who... Like if you got a call after work, I was the angel of death. I was here telling you like so-and-so passed away. Um, I got ordained in the early 90s because the amount of people were losing to to AIDS. Um, and, you know, I had these two mothers say like they were told by their priest or their reverend that their child was going to hell, one because he was gay, the other because they were an injector. And it, I was so distraught that I got ordained. So the next time that happened, I could say, well, you know what, I'm... I'm a person of the cloth, and I don't believe that. I, I believe they, they already lived through their personal hell. And, wow, and man. they're no wow. longer in it. Hey, um, and, the and I don't a give a shit what Jew. your position is in the world. To say that to somebody who's just lost their, their person, fuck you for that. Exactly. Right? Exactly. <laughs> like, just no, right? No. And no. B, I wish I could hug you, man. For, um, for, for doing that and for offering and people that piece. I didn't mm-hmm. cry for years because I was the one who had to hold everyone up. I had to support my staff because I hire people that that actively use. There was one year I lost two staff members. Um, yeah. So it's like I just always had to be the strong one. And a little over a year ago, we lost one of my dearest friends who was a harm reductionist since the 80s. And, and it uncorked this dam of grief that I've been carrying for 30 years where instead of like holding people up I needed to kind of be an A-frame and lean on people Um, and I cried like five or six times a day like over anything or nothing Um, How freeing was that for you? And Oh it's you know I actually um, I'd gotten together with someone romantically uh, around that time and I said you know, it might seem like I'm a bit of a mess right now, but their death helped me be a better version of myself. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, like, I'm I'm a better human being that I'm more in touch with this immense grief that that I've been carrying. And in trainings I do, I say, like, if you've been in this field since the AIDS epidemic was at the height, you probably have PTSD and you might not have, have treated it. And then with the uh, drug poisoning epidemic and covid on top like i'm i'm a shattered shell of the person i used to be and the only thing that keeps me going is as i get up and i try to go to work and remove some of the harms and the stigma and the shame and 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 the pain to people that the rest of the world keeps it on um because if i'm telling you how fucked up you are i don't have to look at myself you know, and everyone has shit. Um, I don't care who you are. Um, so, so it's uh, to answer your question. It's uh, yeah, incredibly cathartic, and just like I'm getting introduced to myself as a new person, because you know I thought part of me was broken, maybe, um, and maybe a little sociopathical, but that gave me the ability to support people who who needed someone to lean on and and now I'm I'm one of them. There's another one Lisa, apathy. 
Right. <laughs> yeah, so Ryan is a therapist who comes on on Wednesdays and does kaleidoscope. Um, and he has an expression that apathy is like a duvet, you know, so that we all, people in this work will have periods where they, they feel apathetic, they look apathetic, but it's literally like we all need those times to just take a break because just feeling the empathy all the time is exhausting, right? And so you kind of pull it up like a duvet and it's a, it's a way that we can ultimately keep going. Um, and I think yeah. it's very accurate. And I talk about, I do, I do a training about trauma-informed care for the person providing the work because we always talk about the person receiving services. But like, where is harm reduction for the harm reductionist? Um, and let's talk about like burn through instead of burnout. Like, how are we going to get through this? Like, um, the, the I love that I was just burn through about, instead of burn out. Burn through. Like, the, That's the man good. I was talking about who, who passed away a little over a year ago, um, for several years, myself, him, and another man who worked in this field, though, like, would do trainings together sometimes, but we worked at different programs in different states, would have a weekly phone call to just, like, exhale and talk about, like, our feelings. And I could tell you about a scenario. And while you may have had a, a similar one, you're separate because you don't know all the, the players and we could emotionally support each other and talk about our feelings as men in this field. And one was a black man. He still is actually. Um, I spoke to him yesterday, <laughs> um, but, but, but like he's supposed to be very stoic and strong and, and just talking about his feelings of, of the vicarious trauma that you have to pick up working in, in this field and, and our grief that goes with it um, to allow us to heal enough. And, and like I said, like I'm very probably broken because the amount of shit that I see, but I'd be more so if I didn't continue. Um, I know there was yeah. a time we were talking about disliking ourselves like at periods of time in life. There was a time in my life I had this car, Mercury Monarch, which I repainted the back to say Vanarchy. I knocked some letters off. and uh, <laughs> But I always had broken rear view mirrors because I had such self disdain that I'd be driving and I'd catch my reflection and be like, the fuck are you looking at? And punch out the mirror. I always also had like an open cut on this hand. And I'd go into like the auto parts store, like with a bloody hand in a mirror. And they'd be like, oh my God, this sociopath again. And, and I'd throw out my mirror and go grab a new one. Um, and, but doing this work allows me to be able to look in the mirror without disdain mm -hmm. and with compassion, um, and care. And I'm not too bad on the eyes either. So, you know, there's that. <laughs> and he's modest too, mom. <laughs> yeah. For, for an older, for an older guy. Um, I told someone I was pretty fly for a fat guy. Um, but we ought to talk about my face for radio. So I get you. I get you. Right. Yeah, yeah. Hey, listen, um, we are at an hour and a half plus the first. Uh, I don't even know. We've got to be close to two hours now. So um, I think that's all the time we got for today. Um, I could sit here and talk to you for hours, Van. I really could. Oh, yeah. And and I would expect another invite on uh, onto the show. Um, Please, yes. Most definitely. Most definitely. Um this is wow you're, you're a fantastic guest honestly and, and one of one of my favorites in the chat 
Yeah, 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 right. I mean, yeah. they're all my favorite when you're sitting there and I'm talking to you, right? But you know, you're they're definitely right up. Now there, I'll right? be more. And I'll put, be more explicit now. <laughs> and, and put your emails in the chats, and I'll send you the pictures for the the hottie. For the calendar. Style. Okay, perfect. Yeah, yeah. Then I don't okay, have to try so to find I them actually, online. I, you I were trying to on Messenger. pimp me, Ben. <laughs> I told you her she should. She should. She should join it. Why not? Right? Yeah. Right. Oh I mean, my god. No. Yeah. It's only yeah. pimping if I'm receiving something in return. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Marketing. that escalated yes. quickly. Um, <laughs> I did. I did message you earlier there, Van, from my my real name, which is Chris Horder. We don't hide it anymore. I used to when I started the show. We don't anymore. Okay. Chocolate Flange has been created, um, so it must have gone to your spam or whatever. But if you, you know, if you can catch that and, and open it up, um, so I can. And talking I can, about the escalation. I just received something from my partner, a message that said, my kink is listening to you talk harm reduction in Zoom interviews. Oh, <laughs> oh I love that. Oh, well, you're with the right person then. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding, eh? Well, I think, I think it takes a special kind of person after this very short time I've known you, Van. So, yeah. And... Chris, where did you where did you contact me? Was that email or um, um, uh, Facebook Messenger? Yeah. Okay, so I'll find yeah. it and I'll. Yeah, uh... you accepted my friend request this morning already. Oh, okay. So, okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, Excellent. All right, I was tr I was trying to make sure you got the link in case somebody slept in. <laughs> I'm not pointing any fingers. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Right, what if you right. speak? <laughs> Not me. Hey, I, I uh, don't know how, how can anyone do that. I definitely no, I don't know. Don't know I, I wasn't that long ago. I did my last one either. So, uh, <laughs> ladies, um, before we jump into the next segment, which will be daily gratitude, so you don't do the thing again, Attica. Uh, is there anything you'd like to say to Van on 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 the outgo here, uh, Lisa? If you want to go first. Like I said, honestly, this has been an absolute pleasure. Um, I feel like we need you on for many, many, many um, episodes to hear all the... I want to bring just the tips Thursday back, all of us. Oh, have. yeah, right? Oh, it actually be quite good. Um, but yeah, like I, I, we've had a lot of awesome guests and we've had a lot of guests on who have a lot of years under their belt in, you know, in this field in some capacity. Um, but I think it's not just like, I think it's the years, the experience, um, and I think just, you know, the humor and the way that you're able to present things, I think you're captivating. Um, and so it's been like an absolute pleasure having you here. I don't know what these two are going on about right now, but we're going to ignore them. Um, <laughs> Dad just sent me the picture. <laughs> that's, that's last year's calendar. I'll send you the 2024 Oh, I, well. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That one. And that was funny because I took that and I share a garage with this woman who doesn't really know me well, but who's very sweet, who's like in her 60s. And like, I'm naked with my phone on a timer on my motorcycle going, I hope she doesn't come get her car right now because this is going to be a really hard explain. Did she come get her car? I right mean, now? not that hard of an no. explain because oh, okay. it was cold <laughs> out, but but um, a difficult thing to explain away. No, she didn't, but. Okay, okay. <laughs> Anyway, Attica, what you got anything you'd like to say before we get into daily gratitude? I would just thank you for, you know, your your work in harm reduction. And I, I'm so fortunate to found you from the Chicago street nets. I think that's how I found you, right, Ben? Yep. yep. Um, yep. 
and you know like in this line of work we just have to have like each other because it's a mucho loco out there and you know you just right mucho loco and you just this i feel like me and van are like we're just like this little happy dysfunctional family with like a bunch of history of trauma and failed suicide attempt and it's just so (laughs) refreshing to be to just joke it around you know like make jokes out of you know the horrible past and it's it's amazing it's amazing that someone like you exist i'm gonna send you a bunch of different pictures chris there was a series of postcards that i made in the late 90s i made two hundred and fifty thousand postcards and one of them was a barbie sitting and injecting and it said this woman's a role model she's using a sterile syringe um wow which i got some slack for but whatever (laughs) i imagine so i imagine um and uh but on the back, it said there's never been one documented case of HIV from sterile injection equipment or from a sterile syringe. If you inject, please contact your nearest needle exchange and add a list of all the local ones um, that wow. we had. I like, you like um, to push buttons. That's for sure. Little. Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, nothing wrong with that. Hey, we got to get the attention somewhere. Pushing, yeah, yeah, pushing the envelopes. Um, yeah. um, that brings us to my favorite part of the show, and that is the daily gratitudes. Today's Daily Gratitudes are brought to you by Revolution Recovery, helping men recover and become their best selves through support and treatment. They've been there and they understand. Uh, Let's start with you, Attica. What you got? I am grateful of this um, podcast and I'm so grateful to get to know Van. This is fun. What? What? the picture that Van sent me at the party thing. Oh my god, I, th- I thought I did something yeah. wrong again. Okay. No, 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 no. Not, oh my god, because I'm, I'm like the worst co-host. Okay, like I, I, I made a lot of errors. I, I'm so surprised oh Chuck hasn't fired me. Um, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, so I'm so thankful of, you know, uh, this podcast and getting such eclectic guests today. Yeah, hey. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? The, the guests we get are, it's amazing, right? And I, I love the ramble. I love Wednesdays, and, and I love our third episode of the week as well. We used to do Van six episodes a week. Is what I used wow. to do, which was a nuts. lot. It was nuts, right? It's unsustainable for one, right? But just the tips Thursday is the one that that, that you just heard me mention. Um, it was kind of my break from it, from from the like the intensity and that high emotion and, and all of that that comes with some of these episodes as you can tell I'm hyper emotional or sensitive and just a tip Thursday started out with chat GPT giving us tips on living in sobriety okay and and I had my friend um, Scott May Scott Maeve out of uh, Florida he has a podcast down there called no new friends podcast um, he's, he's a mug like they have ice cream socials and golf cart parades in his neighborhood right like wow. he has never known he doesn't think he's ever known, but I know fucking well he has somebody who's suffered an addiction, right? But like, it's of course you have. You just didn't know because of stigma, right? Right? And right. All those things, right? But, but he would come on with me, and we'd had these great exchanges, and the dynamic was neat because of, he wasn't anybody who had ever had to work. He was a muggle, right? Right. right, um, right. And just time being what it is, you know, him having his own family and show, and, and me having everything going on, it just it's, the time wasn't working out. But I mean, every half the things you've said today just makes me think about a just the tips Thursday episode as a, as a comeback thing because you're pretty great. You're pretty great guest, right? So, oh, thank you. Absolutely. Um, I am forever thankful for uh, 
for, for the guests that come on, yourself included, for my co-hosts and their time on the weekends. Uh, so much appreciated. Um, my family for helping me go to Thailand. They turned a really shitty situation at the beginning of the month here where I was like seriously wondering where the hell I was going to sleep to me moving to Thailand and getting to A, address the trauma that needs to be addressed and B, live in a sustainable way, right? Where the cost of living is actually, you know, reasonable for, for what I do. So, you know, very, very thankful for that. And I am thankful for 51 weeks today in sobriety. <laughs> awesome. Of course. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, one more week and we'll hit that year. I don't count. I don't do the 12-step thing because I don't count. Right? That's one of the big drivers for me not doing it. But when I figured out I was three weeks away from a year, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I got to tell you, I, <laughs> I got a little excited. All of a sudden, right? And that's, that's, a, that's a big <laughs> right? accomplishment. And, and one know, thing yeah, I always yeah. had an issue with the counting about is like all programs, like all abstinence-based programs, talk about a daily reprieve, but then put so much emphasis on time which is so contradictory. Right. And yes. if you have a slip that lasts Same. a day or two or three or four or a week, you do you lose, lose all that time? No. Right? no you no, shouldn't. You don't. I no, mean, a 12 step, it's kind of like, so. uh, it's gone. Like, no. That said, no. I'll be in Moostra like three or four days after my, my one year where I went to 12 steps. And as much as I'm not a 12 stepper now, my first 30 days doesn't happen without the rooms. Right. right. And I, I've said that a hundred hey, times. It works. I needed that. I needed yeah. that at that time. So, um, Megan, who's the person that kind of, when I was in social detox in Moose Straw, she's the person that I first connected with. I heard her story. I told her I was coming to town and she wants to do the, the party cake with me when I get there for my one year. It's like, congratulations. Right? Damn straight, I will. Good. You know, so, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very proud of this, right? So, um, I'm just going to uh, show everybody the picture that, that he sent me here before we do our exit monologue. Oh, and I was uh, sending it to. <laughs> Rachel is uh, Lisa as well. Oh, so, I'm going to uh, show it to the. You sent to me that one. too. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Is that in reverse text that. to you guys too, or just to me? Can you read that, or is uh, it no, in reverse text? I can read it. Yeah. Oh, I can okay, read it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so so there it is. Yes. Lisa, you see that? Yeah. I'm busy looking at the other one. Um, oh. <laughs> love the socks. Love the socks. <laughs> Touche. There you go. There you go. <laughs> and and well, here's, uh, here's the one for next year's calendar. I just said. Oh, here. dear. Oh, dear. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, a motorcycle. Hey. Is it the love one you it. sent me yeah. then? Okay, ladies, yes. put it away. Oh, that's put it amazing. Away, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I Narcan's your honor student. I love it. And people get really mad about that. And I say, no, but I have. Yeah, I believe you. I've I've given naloxone to people from all different walks of life. Oh, yeah. Of course you have. Um, Of course you have. Of naloxone, a CEO. Yeah. I made a video called Naloxone Breaking the Stigma. It's an animated video where it starts out this young black woman with a green mohawk is skateboarding through the park. And because we're such a racist, shitty society, and, and the Ramones, I want to be sedated, is playing, people are probably thinking, drug addict, which I hate the term, you know. Um, yeah. And But then she goes past a, a guy in a suit who's experiencing an overdose. And she's like, oh, wait, his pin pupils, difficulty breathing. I think he's overdosing. Let me see if I still have that naloxone kit. Yeah. that I got. Yeah. Um, right. And. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. Wow. Um, okay. Okay. I'm going to put a cap in it. Yep. <laughs> Again, Sorry. I can keep going for a long time. Sorry. Um, no, 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 no. Um, 
to the listeners, uh, you, you would be my final gratitude every time what you guys are doing. Please keep doing it. We're still growing. We're still, you know, it's, it's kind of amazing and overwhelming sometimes and, and for the good, though. Um, keep uh, liking, sharing, commenting. Anytime you do any one of these things, you're getting me a little bit closer to living my best life. My best life is to make a humble living, spreading the message. The message is this. If you are in active addiction right now, today could be the day. Today could be the day that you start that lifelong journey. Reach out to a friend, reach out to a family member, call into detox, go to a meeting, do whatever the hell it is you need to do to get the journey started because it is so much better than the alternative. And if you have a loved one who is suffering an addiction right now, just taking the time to listen to this episode, if you can just take one more minute out of your day, text that person, let them know they are loved. Use the words. You are loved. You are loved. loved. That little glimmer of hope just might be the thing that brings it back. My body's getting cold, my life is running low, fill me to go